Hey, hello, welcome to the Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanas, as always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coming to you on December 9th. It's a Monday, 5 p.m. in the evening. Playoff football still rolling both sides of the Continental Divide in the Treasure State, Montana. They're going to Weber State to play the number three Wildcats after they dismantled Southeastern Louisiana State and Montana State. They got another home game. Austin P took apart Sac State on Saturday in a 42-28 victory over the number four seeded Hornets. Meanwhile, Montana State scores 47 unanswered points on the way to a 47-21 win over Albany. Bobcats into the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs for the first time since 2012, and they host a red-hot Austin P team making the first playoff appearance in program history. Sac State game, that result, that was honestly shocking. Austin P, they are a team from Clarksville, Tennessee, school of about 10,000 students. They were, they've had football since 1957. They were an inaugural member of the FCS. They were in the Pioneer Football Conference from 2001 through 2006, back in the Ohio Valley in 2007, but really a doormat at the FCS level for a really long time. They lost 45 out of 46 games, lost 29 games in a row. But Will Healy took over as one of the up-and-coming coaches in America, and he started to get that thing turned around. They won eight games two years ago, and then this year under Mark Hudspeth, 11 wins into the playoffs. They they dismantled Furman 42-6, and they whooped Sac State last week. So it's a red-hot Austin P team coming to Bobcat Stadium. In this podcast, you'll hear from Jeff Choate, his weekly press conference, breaking down his team's playoff victory, their second in as many years, and their eighth FCS playoff victory in school history. He also previews Montana's matchup against Austin P. As always, this podcast brought to you in part by Selway Armory, Montana's firearm superstore, as well as Town Pump. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. Here's Jeff Choate on the Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter, I was in Bozeman for the Bobcat game a couple of weeks ago, and while I was there, I went over to the corner of Jackrabbit and Baxter and headed into the brand-new Cathedral of Guns, Selway Armory. It was absolutely phenomenal. Their new store in Bozeman is everything you want and more, including a Sig Sauer store right in the Selway Armory store. Got a, some confusion from a couple people that listen to this podcast. They said, what is Sig Sauer? <laughs> and they spelled it like cigarette. <laughs> but, no, we're talking Sig Sauer, like S-I-G-S-A-E-U-R. It's one of the best handguns you'll find anywhere. They're experts when it comes to Sig Sauer's, as well as all other handguns, as well as all other firearms. Locations of both Missoula and Bozeman. But get your butt to that new Bozeman store. It's a beautiful store, unbelievable inventory, and those guys are experts. They'll help you find whatever it is you need. Hunting season, recreation, we all have people on our Christmas list, or maybe it's you yourself. Yes, I must say, once in a while it's nice to get your own self a present. You go in there, all of the guns, ammunition, accessories that you could imagine in culture, as you mentioned absolute experts they know everything there is to know about the entire inventory they've got online selwayarmory.com montana is a gun enthusiast state it's a hunting state and selway armory is montana's firearm superstore take the selway armory challenge shop with selway armory for a year guarantee you're going to save money over the big box stores or anywhere else you might shop do yourself a favor no matter where you're from in montana if you're making your way through southwest montana go see that new selway armory and if you're in missoula go check out their location out Stockyard Road. So, Army, great products at a great price, along with world-class customer service. Mm, pizza smells good today. Well, I feel I feel like I would get my hand bit off, quite honestly. <laughs> I, I had thought that for a long time. Like, I would like a piece of pizza, but Greg looks like he might hurt me. And so... <laughs> 
No, I, I, I seriously, that's the number one thing I think about is like, oh, these guys would lose their mind if I ate their pizza. <laughs> so anyway, um, it's good to be back. Uh, you know, it's, uh, that means we're still playing football. We're one of eight teams in the country at the FCS level. Every single team in this tournament at this point is a really good football team. And uh, we got a short week to prepare, so I'll be uh, kind of direct and to the point, uh, talking about the Albany game. You know, really proud of the way our guys adjusted throughout the course of the game. So no question that they were, they were bound and determined to not let us run the ball for almost 400 yards, and, and like we did uh, two weeks ago, or I guess three weeks ago now. And, and um, I really thought they had a great scheme against our run game, and we were forced to, to go to some things that uh, maybe isn't what we highlight in our offense on a week-to-week basis. But uh, Tucker Rovig operated it. I mean, he threw the ball very, very well. Uh, really, I think, showed a lot of poise and confidence in his receivers. And whether that was Lance or Travis or, or Kevin making plays down the field. And obviously, that loosened things up. And then you know we're ready to go. And then defensively, uh, probably one of the most critical series in the game was after, um, after we had the field goal blocked. Number one, Tristan Bailey keeping them out of the end zone. And that's a very underrated play in that game. And then number two, our ability to keep them off the scoreboard. And that had to be demoralizing. They finally had a momentum-creating play for them. And uh, we're set up in the red zone with an opportunity to, to kind of get back in the game and for our defense to stiffen the way they did after Tristan made that really pretty amazing play for a kicker to track a guy down like that and get that guy on the ground. And uh, I just thought that was huge. Obviously, the takeaways, um, I'll tell you who's playing at a really high level. And ha- the last two weeks are the two best, the, the last two times that Damian Washington's had a chance to go on the field have been his two best games. And, uh, um, you know, he, he mentioned that after the Montana game, um, that uh, I think it was Coach Alk actually came up and, and said, you know, you played really well today. Because I think they liked the matchup, or at least they probably thought they would like the matchup with Torre on, on Damian. And um, certainly that was the case on Saturday as well. They were going to go after him a little bit. And I thought he held up extremely well. And so, you know, just a, a complete team win there. And now uh, we got to have a short memory that's behind us. And moving on to Austin P University, um, Mark Hudspeth, who's a, a guy that's uh, been a, uh, a Division One head coach uh, at uh, – uh, at University of Louisiana Lafayette, I was a very successful coach there. In fact, I'm kind of scratching my head as to why they made a change, but um, he, he had a really good run there and really was critical in them kind of taking the next step in their program, building some new facilities, got to multiple bowl games, has a really good reputation as an offensive football coach, um, spent some time in the SEC at Mississippi State, and uh, is, uh, you know really kind of invigorated and revitalized this Austin P program. I think there's a, a, certainly a renewed emphasis on football there. You can see that. I mean, this is a team that was playing in the Pioneer League not too long ago, so they were a non-scholarship FCS program, stepping up into the Ohio Valley Conference and in a short time winning that league. Um, a very good football coach, very good football team. they got an identity. They're a hard team to prepare for. <laughs> I kind of feel the pain of maybe some teams that have to prepare for us because there's a lot of similarities in what they do and what we do on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, a lot of variety to their run game, uh, a lot of different formations, a lot of different people handling the ball, and uh, uh, you can get your eyes mixed up in a hurry, and it can be very, very challenging. And when you combine that with the, the level of personnel that they have, I think it's interesting. I mean, they're number 12, 12 scoring offense in the country and the number 20 total offense in the country. Um, number three, the Craig kid, you know, obviously the, the, the guy that makes the whole thing go. And... Uh, He's got a couple of really good targets in number two and number 11 down the field that he really kind of prioritizes in the pass game, but they get everything going through him with the plus one run game. Um, they have what we call punch read or power read with the quarterback as a play that's a, an interesting. A lot of it kind of is triple option-esque 
and, and even though it's not maybe what you think of as triple option, there's always options within the play, if that makes sense. And I think that Craig does a really good job running that. I mean, this guy's accounted for 36 touchdowns. He's rushed for or thrown for over 3,000 yards, rushed for over 800 yards. That's, that's a big-time player right there. And uh, he's a big kid who's a tough tackle. He's not a guy that's easy to get on the ground. So we're going to have to do a really good job of playing with disciplined eyes. Um, you know, they run a couple of different running backs. Number number five, Williams, kind of the primary back, and number four, Mamadou, the uh, the guy that has kind of taken over. Number twenty one's a really good back too, but they're all about the same size. They're kind of that five ten, five eleven, two hundred, two hundred five pound, kind of your conventional running back size at our level. Very productive players. I already mentioned the Williams kid. I think he's excellent, not just as a receiver, number 11 that is, but also as a punt returner, really dynamic player. And then uh, the Hardy kid, uh, number two. So those guys are really good players on that side of the ball. That's kind of the, the, the playmakers that we're going to have to concern ourselves with. But the most challenging thing is, is really what they present to you in, this, in terms of the scheme. Very creative, uh, a wide variety, as I said, in the run game. Defensively, um, yeah, they're 11th in total defense and number seven in rushing defense, giving up less than 100 yards a game rushing. And so this is going to be, you know, a very interesting matchup from that perspective, I think. And um, I think they are very stout and hard to move on the interior of their defensive line. I really like their inside linebackers. Number 10 and number 18 are faster, uh, more athletic, maybe not as big as some of the guys that we've played in recent weeks, but they're uh, faster and more athletic. And I think that's probably a theme that you'll see throughout this. I do think, well, last week I felt like there was a little bit of a team speed advantage over Albany between us and Albany, and I don't think that exists this week. I think that this team has very good team speed. And so, uh, like I said, their D interior D-line, 44-90, these guys are, you got a nose who's got seven and a half sacks. And he's, I mean, he's twitchy. And so they, they present some problems for you there. I mentioned the athletic linebackers and then the active DBs. I think the Jackson kid has seven interceptions on the year. And so obviously they've got some guys that are good. Uh, special teams, creative, a uh, lot of different things to prepare for. Uh, you saw the surprise on sidekick last week against Sac State. That's something that they've done a, another time in the course of the season. They will run fakes on punt. They will run fakes on extra points and field goals. Um, they've got dynamic return men in number two and number 11. And they'll put number five back there from time to time. So they play starters in the kicking game. But I think that's really the identity that I see for this whole team is just really um, they play fast, they're aggressive, and, and they're creative in terms of how they, they attack the opponent. And so with that being said, I'm happy to take any questions. How does the short week uh, affect preparation, do you think? I've done this a lot, not in recent years, but I've done this a lot. Um, and when, I, when we worked at Boise State, it was, I mean, we played every night of the week. And so um, all you did was you just kind of trained yourself, like this isn't really Monday to me, this is Tuesday. Okay, and so now we had to make a decision yesterday as to whether we were going to treat Sunday like Monday, and we chose not to. Uh, we felt like with finals, that's the other curveball that's obviously thrown into this is not just the short week, but also our young men preparing for the real reason that they're here. And so uh, we felt like it was better for them to, to have more time on Sunday, do basically a little bit more than our normal Monday today, which is what we did this morning. And then we've got to adjust our practice times a little bit on Tuesday and Wednesday based on some final schedules. So. Um, once you train your brain that this, you know, you just get into the mode that, hey, this is Tuesday today. This is, what day is it, Greg? Tuesday. Thank you. Good. <laughs> See, it's not that hard. I'm listening. <laughs> How important was it to get to a different element of the offense? You guys ran the ball, ball pretty well on Saturday, but you did face some um, opposition. How important was that at this point of the season for Tucker and his confidence to really let it loose in the last <laughs> I've seen that out of him over the last four or five weeks. I just really feel like he, the game is starting to slow down. 
if, if that makes sense. He's seeing things more clearly. He's making more decisive decisions, and he's doing it much quicker. Um, I think his accuracy continues to improve. I think his chemistry with the receivers continues to improve. And so uh, certainly that's not something that we're afraid. You know, we kind of opened it up a little bit against UC Davis as well. We know from time to time teams are going to work to take away what you do best. That's what good teams do. And then we've got to have enough diversity in our offense to be able to attack them. And I think that showed up. Um, I think it's, it's, it's funny because on Sunday we were talking about this that, gosh, it just – we rushed for 203 yards and it just didn't feel like we did anything, you know? And it's, it's just kind of funny how we've become accustomed to these, you know, really prolific rushing days. And, uh, but it was nice to be able to add that 280 yards passing. Uh, did it almost surprise you, you know, how well Austin Peay played Sac State at Sac State considering, you know, you had seen Sac State before and what they could do? Yeah. It's tournament, you know, it's kind of like, you think about like if you compare it to the NCAA basketball tournament, there's always going to be teams that, rise up and and you're like oh you don't know a whole lot about them they're from the ohio valley conference this is a co-big sky champion team that they're playing they got to travel across the country um so what does it come down to in my personal opinion who's the most excited to play you know who's still interested in playing football and who's you know taking a victory lap and i'll play this game but i've already really turned my equipment in and i you know i just feel like that's what i saw was i saw an austin p team that was the most excited to play on the field and they, they played with more energy. They played with a higher level of execution. And I think in a tournament setting, that's so much of what you really can't quantify. You really can't say, well, you know, you look at the tail of the tape and say, this is who these guys are on offense, defense, and the kicking game. But you can't really decide how bad a guy wants to continue to play and how important that team is to them. They got, they got to go do it. And, uh, you know, as I tell our guys all the time, there's two types of teams in any setting like this. There's satisfied teams and there's hungry teams. And so you got to decide who you want to be. And uh, I'm hopeful that our guys are going to be excited to play on Friday night. And so how nice is it that you get to play at home again and you know, make them travel again? Well, um, it does present a, a challenge for them. There's no question about it. And, and I don't know how to make this better. This is just the dynamics of this tournament. And I think it makes it one of the toughest tournaments to win there is, especially if you have to go on the road. And you can see why a team like a, a James Madison or a North Dakota State year in and year out where they've got a top two seed and they're sitting at home in Fargo until the semis are over, it makes it a lot easier to win this tournament. And so I think that's why we've – that's the thing that I learned from a year ago. You know, if, we, if you can get yourself in a position where you can host a home game, well, maybe you get a chance to host another one. You know, being a, a five seed was more important than a six seed because that mean, meant that we've got a, an opportunity to host this home game. And just the way it played out, and I think um, – the longer you do it, the better you get at it, I'm sure. And that's why teams, I think, like like NDSU that does it every year, they've got a pretty good blueprint. Do you think there was a, a turning point in the season for Tucker at any point? Um, I can think of a couple. But I really think that uh, – I think the last – I think the UC Davis game was the game that gave him the most confidence. And, and from that point on, he's just kind of operated very, very smooth. There's been some fly sweep motion that you guys didn't use a ton last week, but I know Tyron Marshall's been really heavily involved even in just the action of that motion. I've seen that a lot in other areas of football. What does that add to an offense? What do you think that does for your offense? Yeah, you'll see it a lot from their offense as well. And, and um, it's all smoke and mirrors, you know. I mean, they, you want them to defend the edge of the defense, but really what you're trying to do is affect the eyes of the defenders, right? You're trying to have them worried about, oh, there goes the fly sweep, and then here comes the inside run. And uh, that's, that's really part of the purpose. I mean, it's like, and not in like a counter play, oh, you run power, 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 and then you run counter the other way. You're trying to kind of um, 
you know, deceive the opponent a little bit in terms of, hey, what you're seeing isn't really what's going on. And forcing them to defend the edge of the defense, oftentimes, especially if you, you have a good inside run game, you can kind of stretch the defense horizontally, not with just formations, but also with that motion. Coach Lance McCutcheon just had an amazing third quarter there with two touchdowns. What did you see from him on Saturday? Well, that's the guy that we need Lance to be, and we're hopeful that he would be. And, uh, you know, he's had some inconsistencies in terms of his ability to make those big plays. And he made two huge plays in the third quarter. And I was just really – I mean, I was really happy for him. Really happy for him. It was probably a little bit of a frustrating year for him. He's played a lot of football for us. And we ask him to do the dirty work of blocking on the edges in the run game and all that kind of stuff. And you catch a pass here or there. But to get an opportunity to be targeted in a really important game and a really important moment and then – to take advantage of your opportunity. And I'm hopeful that that's just going to give him more confidence moving forward, and that's going to give Tucker more confidence in him. Over the past few weeks, just how about I really think Jake Sessions has been stepping in? Yeah, it's been awesome. Yeah, and there's the next man up mentality. Uh, Connor Wood is, I think, one of the better offensive linemen in this league. Um, had he been healthy all year, I think he would have been a guy that I would have pushed for first team all conference. I think that's how talented he is. And for us to lose a guy of that caliber and really not miss a beat, uh, because Jake's ability to come in and own his role and do his job has been vitally important to our success. Talk about the excitement um, that you have to have at this time of year to, to go out and play. And Coach Hutzbeth has been able to turn that thing around really quickly. Um, so when it comes to matching that, do you, you know their belief this week, do you think that'll be a factor? Yeah, I think it always is. Confidence is a huge part of postseason play. Um, I'm trying to think of who the young man was, and he is a young guy. He was the head coach there, and now he's at Charlotte. Um, and he was pretty successful in a short amount of time. And, and I think you know, Mark's stepped into a situation where they've gotten some transfers and got some guys going, but they got a senior quarterback. And you've got a lot of the guys, the pieces were in place. And I think one of the things that I really respect about the job he's done is he's been able to step in and take the talent that's there and then – utilize them in a way that allows them to have success instead of saying, hey, this is the system we're going to run and we're going to do this or trying to be somebody that he's not. Uh, I think that speaks to his ability to motivate young men and, and identify the talent and the skill set that they've got. And so they, sh they probably have a lot of confidence in Coach Hud and his ability to lead them. And that provides them with the confidence to go out. I mean, I'm sure they're saying, hey, it doesn't matter if it's snowing, doesn't matter if it's raining, we'll go play anybody anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And that would be the mindset that I would take as well. Going back to Jake Sessions and Tyrone Marshall, how important has depth been in the late run that you've made this year? I think it's really been important for us. Um, I think this again, one of the things you kind of learn. Like you go to, so when you're at Power Five level, you're it's a body for a body. So you got 85 scholarships, right? And if a guy goes down or leaves, let's say he leaves the program, you just go get another body. Okay, here we're up against equivalencies, head counts. There's a lot of different things that, quite honestly. I think it takes – it's more like an NFL organization. You have to manage the roster more like you would a, an NFL roster because it's like, okay, you got a salary cap. Well, that's our number of full scholarships, right? And then you've got this how much money you can spend, okay? So you've got your available allotment, which is, you know, the percentages that you divide up amongst these guys. And then you got to have your number, which is what, you know, 104, 108, whatever your maximum roster number is. And the thing that I learned was that – um, one of the most important jobs I have in May and June is to get to that number. So I have every single body available. And that even means going, okay, this guy's not going to be able to participate in fall camp. I'm not bringing this guy in because I need these legs right now. 
And what is what happens, those kids develop. You don't get better at playing football if you don't play football. And so the more football you play, the better you get. And now we're seeing guys that really weren't ready for prime time early in the season that are making an impact for us down this stretch. Um, I mean, we've been doing this since August 1st. It seems like forever ago that we were in Lubbock, Texas, you know? And so uh, you have to be able to, and you gotta have a little luck. I mean, we've had guys, you know, Ty Okada started the last two games for us. Ty Okada didn't play until the Montana game. So wrap your head around that. You know, we had an early season knee injury. The season is long enough that we get him back. Another kid, Jake, uh, uh, Joe McElroy from Missoula, this kid had a fractured ankle and had his knee cleaned out. He's back practicing today. So that's how long we've been doing this. And so, but yet in the interim, we've had enough bodies to be able to fill those holes. And so I think that's, some, again, one of the things I think I learned over my first couple of years uh, coaching at this level. What would you characterize the biggest strength of this team right now? Word you said, team. They care about each other. They're not really interested in who gets credit, just what the scoreboard says at the end of the game. And I really believe that's, that's the strength of our team is our togetherness, our oneness. And, uh, you know, that's, I, think, I think that's shown with a lot of the things we talked about. I mean, there's, you can go game by game and who's the star of that game. Well, you could name different guys almost every week. We played the last two games, the most impactful games of our season without our best player. And we played better as a team. And I think that's a testament to these young men. Would you characterize Troy's injuries as a, the totality of all of them together more than just one specific one <laughs> right now? Yeah, that's a, probably a good way to put it. You know, um, it's, uh, it's, never, it's not really any one thing with him. I think he would push through any one thing. It's just kind of uh, he's got some, uh, a variety of things going on. That none of them are surgical, which is positive, but some of them are going to take long. With Troy being out, how important has Isaiah now been? And you know, just what have you thought of him in his journey this season? Yeah, another example of what we talked about earlier: a guy who was you know injured, not productive for a lot for a large part of the season, and then has really stepped his game up down the stretch, and has been critical for us to be able to still have some of the elements that we had with Troy's plays on offense to use just Isaiah to get that done. And uh, you can say the same thing about Daniel Hardy and Ty Okada and uh, you know Lavelle. Stepping in on defense, you know, it doesn't take one guy. I mean, you're not gonna replace that dude with one guy. You know, that's what makes him so special is that you don't have to sub for him. He can cover whoever they has, and he can beat whoever they has off the edge on. And so we've had to kind of use a couple of different guys, but all those guys have stepped up and own their role. And those 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 three guys collectively have been productive to this day. That we really haven't missed Troy that much. When it came to your timeline, you know, like when you first got here, it was four years about what you were thinking in terms of. You know, we get to a point where we're a seeded team and hosting players. You know, I don't know. I mean, I probably thought I had way more answers than I really had. And and I think I've used this analogy before. You know, you, when you get a job, it's like getting a present. You open it up, and it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. And that's kind of how I would describe this. Like, I, you know, Montana State had had a nice run here. And you're you're thinking from the outside looking in, we've, we've got a pretty good thing going. But there were some things that we needed to fix. And uh, once I realized that, I didn't know how fast it was going to happen. I knew there was no, there was not going to be a quick fix because I couldn't go out and find, I, you know, I, my failure, couldn't find that quarterback that we just plug in and go, you know, and uh, which can fix a lot of things. But what's ironic about it is I think, I think this program is now built for the long haul because of it. And I, I don't know, I don't know why it happened that way. I think a lot of it had to do with personal discipline, you know, believe in what you're doing and don't deviate from the plan and don't listen to the outside noise and just, you know, 
this is the right way, and we're gonna we're gonna do it this way. And eventually, you know, the roots start to take hold, and that's what's happened, I believe. How many guys do you have graduating on Saturday? I should probably know this. I know we've got. Um, well, no, we've got. About, I think there's five guys, five or six guys that are mid-year grads. Yeah, Mitch being one of them. Um, and then we've got, you know, a handful of guys that'll be another semester here. But all of our guys are on track to graduate, which is, you know, the big picture. So usually the winter graduation, we have about five to six guys, and I think that's probably about the number again. Coulter, the weather has turned. It is gnarly out there. It's gnarly on the roads. But in Montana, that doesn't keep us home. We go everywhere we got to go. You and I always travel in for football. I'm going to be headed to some other places for Christmas, all this kind of stuff. You know what gives me comfort? I know that I'm always about 11 feet from a town pump superstore. I mean, no matter where I am in the state of Montana, you got gasoline, you got all the refreshments you need, the kids got to have, you know, a, a, a packet of gum, some chips, some water to keep them going, keep them satiated and satisfied in the back seat. And you know what other S word? Silent. Shut them up, those kids. You go to town pump and you got yourself some peace and calm in the van ride. I, sh- I should pay them $1 million for what they've done for me. I always set up that town pump right when you get over Homestake Pass. I write in rocker there because yeah. I always run out of the spray fluid for the windshield. And the mm. semis are spraying on you. When it gets cold and icy and snowy like this, you got to have the right fluids in your car. And town pump's got that covered as well. And sometimes you need a beer for after the drive. So get yourself a six-pack, drink it when you get home, behave yourself. But it is. It's a great place no matter what you need. Fuel, food, caffeine, water, anything. And who knows, maybe you throw a dollar in the machine, you walk away a winner, too. I mean, you got all these different ways to recreate, stretch your legs on the highways. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a town pump near you. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953.